Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That, uh, that's me, still is, joined this week as I am, uh, well, most weeks, every week, actually, by our, the OTB producer, Sam Griswold. Uh, and also this week, we are joined once again by comedian Tom Catter, uh, Cotter. As uh, listeners may recall, uh, Grail Hallett, my usual co-host, has left for a big gig in the world of media. Apparently, he can't tell me exactly what it is yet, or he'd have to kill me. But uh, he's grabbing a job that I, which I'm sure has a 401k and a dental plan. We got to get our shit together, Sam, with the with, with the benefits here on the show. So uh, Tom Cotter sitting in for Sam with Sam and myself today. Tom knows doodly squat about the game, but we found last week that his lack of knowledge as to the world's game actually creates some interesting questions. Because look, a lot of us old timers, you know, guys have been in the the game for a long, long time. Uh, we assume certain things, and there's a lot of uh, you know, people who are just familiarizing themselves with the sport. So it uh, it gives the uh, soccer neophytes uh, a bit of a chance to ask a question. Now, as Tom is busy looking up the word neophyte, um, <laughs> Cotter, uh, I'd like to introduce our guest today on Over the Ball. This is very exciting. This is, is uh, uh, his very first interview um, since stepping down as the director of coaching and education for the United Soccer Coaches Association after a long 10-year run. That's a hell of an overlapping run. Ian Barker, welcome to OTB. How are you? Thank you, Kevin. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I know yeah. I get on occasionally. Um, I figure that's on a day when you can't book a better guest, but uh, I'm always happy. <laughs> no. I'm always happy to accept the invitation. So thank you for having me. No, I like, you know, it's funny, uh, a guy like yourself, we've kind of, we kind of came up through a lot of the same teams and leagues and at the same time period. And I always find it so much fun to talk to you after we stop recording, because then we get to shoot the shit. Um, you know, usually you had to push the, you know, the, the coaches convention or whatever you guys were working on. So, Hey, this, this, this frees us up a little bit more now before you got on uh, today. Uh, talking with Tom Cotter and and Sam, we were talking about uh, the the coaches convention itself. Um, you've been there. You've been the director of coaching for ten years. Talk about the, your journey and and know why you decided to move on. Yeah, so ten is a kind of a nice round number. Mm -hmm. um, Pele, one of one of my uh, one of my um, coworkers, uh, another director, the director of the convention, Jeff Van Dusen, is just taking the position of CEO effective January 1st. So he's got new challenges, new energy, new direction. Um, he and I are very close professionally and, and personally, uh, but in talking to him, this was a good time. And then once that decision was kind of made between us, I really didn't have the energy or the enthusiasm to be the, the education centerpiece of the convention. So I asked him if I could step down effective immediately um, which he was gracious enough to, to let me go. So I can go to convention next week. It's four miles from my house, have all of the social aspects and none of the pressure of presenting and make it a little bit of a, of a goodbye kind of thing. So just really good timing. I got nothing else lined up right now. So if anybody out there's got a job, please, uh, enhbarker at gmail.com. Um, cause I'm looking, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm in a very good place two and a half days into this uh, break. Well, you're a coach, so it's sort of uh, at the end of the day, and, and that's almost like being a stand-up comedian. You go from gig to gig. Um, I know you coached already on a college level. I'm a McAllister, I think it was. And, and then um, a 10-year run in any position is a long, long time. Uh, so change is good. So would you get back into college coaching? Because that, that's, 
that's pretty arduous as well. Me and my friend, Mike Noonan, uh, Dave Mazur, those guys, man, they, they work really hard recruiting and coaching. There's no downtime. It seems. Yeah. Well, it wasn't by design, but there's been four. So I've been quite fortunate. I haven't had to move around a lot. I've had four major stops, university of Wisconsin college, Minnesota youth soccer, coach Ed McAllister college coaching, and then this coach Ed. So in sequence, it'd be a college gig perhaps. Um, Right now, again, two and a half days in, I'm, I, I've been watching Ted Lasso for the second time <laughs> as a guilty pleasure this week. Yeah. I, I, really, I really wouldn't mind being on team bus, the sort of smell of the locker room, yeah. um, crashing in a hotel after you've just lost 2-0 or 1-2-0. There's, there's something in it right now that makes me want to get back into that applied environment for sure. Yeah, let me ask you about that because, you know, I have not co- – I mean, I coached uh, at Boston University right when I was done playing, but – I do miss it. I miss the beers after the game because you kind of you like you go to battle a little bit with your buddies and you see what everybody's made of. And it's just so much fun. Do you, do you get that feeling from coaching as well? Yeah. Yeah. So the coach, it's interesting because I feel like in the same way, a good player doesn't make a good coach in the same way, a good coach doesn't make a good coach educator. Clearly I have some ability at coach education, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you're still a, you're still a coach, right? And and so I think I've done a good, hopefully I've done a halfway decent job of supporting other people's education. Right. But I feel like I need more opportunity to apply my knowledge directly to players myself right now. Yeah, well, you take all that you've learned over the, the years and so you head back out into uh, to market. I mean, you're teaching everybody. I don't know. Maybe we're all just frustrated players, Ian. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. Sure. We all want to play for Liverpool or whoever else because uh, they didn't play soccer like that when I was playing. My God, just nah. you, you English guys just, you know, Route 95, just knock the ball forward, get you stuck in a mixer. If a goalkeeper, changed. if a goalkeeper had passed a goal kick square to me inside the six yard box, the center back, <laughs> I would have kicked the ball into the top row and then I would have punched the goalkeeper. So watching them play out the back and yeah, it's a little, it's, it's beautiful to watch when it works, Man City. Um, It's a disaster when it doesn't uh, most recently Arsenal, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very interesting time for coaches because a lot of us have got to rethink, especially if you're sort of over 25 years old, you've got to rethink some of the, uh, what were the non-negotiables about coaching and playing and models of play? Because people like Guardiola, um, the Spanish national teams, they've really, and, and the South Americans, they've really changed the way the game is played now in Northern Europe, Western Europe. So it's uh, it's a good time to be watching football. Well, it always changes. You know, we had the, we went through the tiki-taka sort of thing and, and now this. Um, but Tom, you had a question for Ian? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First of all, to Kevin's point, I'm a lay person. He's a person that can't get laid, so we're a little different in that oh, regard. Nice. There you go. Um, so uh, why Kansas City? Why is the coaches – is Kansas City always the mecca where you have this convention, or is does it move around? Uh, great question. Thank you. So they, they do move it around five uh, bookend cities. The most popular by attendance, Baltimore and Philly. Uh, Anaheim to get a little sun on our backs. Chicago, mm-hmm. colder than all hell. And then Kansas City is where our office is. So you do one every cycle in your hometown. Very affordable because it's a, a less expensive city, but um, a little bit more challenging for some people off the coast to get to because until I moved here for work, it was a flyover city, right? But it's actually a wonderful city, uh, good comedy clubs, good restaurants. So, um, And then we've got MLS, 10 WSL. So it's actually a really nice little soccer mecca here. It's just a little bit of um, an unknown, actually. 
My wife uh, for Christmas asked for a coach bag. You, you, you have nothing to do with that, right? <laughs> nothing to do. That's your wife is she's on her own. Okay. Let you, let you write these down this morning or something. <laughs> these questions, more, Jesus. One, one more what, what kind of, uh, what, what player is a, uh, a ghost's favorite soccer player? Uh, I don't know, Tom. What is a uh, ghost's favorite? For, so- we're looking for goalkeeper there. And uh, that's- oh, dear God, Jesus Christ. So we're going for, and he was never heard from again. Professional. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, ask him a soccer question, please. Who wrote that shit? Your eight-year-old? My God. Break. Um, clean. No, it's clean family humor. No, you know, uh, Ian, you were talking about where to have the conventions, and I think it's, it is it is such a different vibe wherever it is. Um, but I remember, like, we were all being Baltimore in January of going, like, wow, what is going uh-huh. on? It'd be freezing. But I guess the, the rent's cheaper then. And, and also, you know, you got a lot of people just come up the coast from Florida to Maine, you know? Just to, well, Baltimore, Philly are just the best population density for getting driving trip people driving in from all over the East Coast. Right. And then the timing, uh, yeah, the convention rates are a little cheaper in January, but it's, you know, I think most of us know it's probably as good a time to get coaches together as you can, as you can because of college seasons, professional seasons. I mean, right now the MLS and WSL, it seems like those guys get just a couple of weeks off between seasons and preseasons. So, um, you know, by luck and by judgment, that January time is a, is a bit of a sweet spot, and it seems to work for the majority. Oh, and it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking, Sam. Yeah, Ian. First of all, to your earlier point, as someone who's privy to the organization of the show, or largely disorganization at times, um, <laughs> Kevin, in fact, reached out to someone else after booking you and had to cancel on them. So you're not Good. a second choice guest by any means on the well, show. Well, I feel really sorry for that person, and we probably should out them on the, the radio show. I think it was Max Bredos. I think it was Max Bredos. Yeah, screw Max Bredos, right? Yeah, we don't know, like Max. So uh, to build off that, could you? I've been to one convention, one in Baltimore couple years ago and uh i you know i still don't have the full grasp of you know what it is and kind of the whole spiel and uh you know i'm sure tom has even less of a grasp so could you kind of give us just the basic overview of what goes on sure so certainly um one of the things and and the guys obviously in in the entertainment business might get this um we actually achieved the goal in a city like philly of blacking the city out for hotel rooms so we might take every hotel room in philadelphia for that four-day period um and then you get a pretty nice party by the philadelphia convention and bureau bureau people because they're so happy with you so you get a free drink um so that's how big it is so about eleven thousand hotel nights um about about ten thousand people come through the event over the five days my part of it was always the education lots of clinic sessions Another big part of it is the awards. So all America, high school, college, academic and athletic. That's a big part of it. Big, big part of it. And then the other big part of it is the exhibitor vendor show. So that's a big economic generator for it. Um, you don't tend to get the big, the, the sort of the Nikes, Adidas is using that type of opportunity for exhibits as much. But you're certainly getting, you know, gold companies, every technology company in the sport. Um, travel companies, that kind of thing. So that is that is huge part of it. So most people come, many people come primarily for education, but again, the awards and rankings and the um, chance to do business um, in the, in the uh, associated industries around soccer, that's why people come. And to wear flip-flops and mullets. It's uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah, yeah. their soccer shoes. Hey, so Ian, you're talking about coaching and how it's changed a little bit. And this is something, you know, you're talking about as a center back, uh, you know, if, if, 
they passed you the ball like that from the goalkeeper position. I, I didn't think about if you were in the box when a ball was crossed, the goalkeeper wouldn't even half the time go for the ball. He would just ring your own bell. You know, how many times I got hit in the head uh, from a goalkeeper? That's gone. So certain things have changed. Now your goalkeeper has to play out of the back. And we're looking at the new U.S. national team. People are discussing who's, got, who's better with their feet. You have to play with your feet now. I mentioned Tiki Taka before that. What are the trends that you see moving forward as, you know, with your vast coaching experience? Yeah, well, there are definitely trends moving forward. But I, if I was looking for a cultural reference point. You look at some of the things that Cruyff, Johan Cruyff was saying and doing um, 20, 30 years ago, those seem to be coming to fruition now. So if people research Johan Cruyff when he was at Barcelona, he predicted that goalkeepers would really just ultimately become field players. And, and we're, we're not that far away from it now, right? So Total soccer, so ev- right? Yeah, every player at, the, at a decent level or whatever your relative level is, if you're not proficient with with taking the ball in and then distributing the ball, that's 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 going to be problematic for you as an as an athlete, a soccer athlete. So, I'm not suggesting every parent out there, you know, takes their child and puts them into one-on-one coaching clinics. However, um, if the coach is maybe sacrificing some results because he's encouraging the kids not to just put the ball out of touch or into touch, excuse me. Um, there's a reason for that because, because again, whether you're playing at a decent high school level, decent college, pro level, if you can't take responsibility and ownership of the ball for short periods of time, regardless of your position. And I would say that is increasingly a trend because as you know, from your playing days, my playing days, you and I were piano carriers for the one or two piano players. Now everybody to some extent has to be much more adept at, at playing the piano. Yeah, the total football that, that Cruyff had talked about. And, you know, I think it's interesting. They are so good with their feet, goalkeepers now. And the, playing the ball out of the back from the goalkeeper position, I mean, you look at Liverpool, Allison, they just knocking it to, to the, the center midfielder, checking back to the ball at the top of the box. Never saw that before. I mean, it was like you, your coach would have yelled at you, you know. So, Sam? Um, yeah, Ian, speaking to the international influence uh, you, you were mentioning, is – is there a big presence of international coaches at this event or is it largely an American only kind of audience? No, it, we, we do very well uh, with very well with Europe. Um, I think, you know, the language obviously, although we have Scottish people, so they're a bit difficult to oh. understand, but yeah, we do really well with Scotland um, and England, Ireland, Wales. Um, a lot of the pro clubs are looking to engage their American fan base. Um, the big FAs like the English FA, the Scottish FA, they're looking to connect with their coaches that live here that have their awards for continuing education. So now some of these guys don't have to fly back to the mother country. They can do their continuing education here because the, nice. the associations come to the convention. Um, you know, if you read Paul Gardner in Soccer America, we're always going to get criticized. that There's not enough South American, uh, Central American influence, but they're not really super excited about coming to Kansas in the middle of uh, in the middle of January in some cases, but we, you know, we've had flamenco, we've had the Mexican FA a number of times. So we do. Okay. And the Caribbean, especially um, uh, the Caribbean countries like to send coaches up if they can afford it. So it's got a very nice international presence last year because of COVID it was a digital convention and probably a third of our attendees was were coming in from international zoom links as opposed to 
domestic wow. ones. I would think I'd be I'd be spitballing a bit, Sam, but I'd say probably ten to fifteen percent of the attendees come from outside of the U.S., maybe Canada, but certainly um, Central America, the Caribbean, and, and a lot from Europe. Jeez, quit quit helping Canada, man, because they're becoming a tough a tough <laughs> opponent. My goodness, they are. Yeah. They are. Let me ask you this, Coach. Um, you know, I went in the 94 World Cup. I was over in France. Uh, no, 98, 98 World Cup in France. And then um, I'm watching young people play. I think the under 14s were there. A lot of club teams. The best skilled players were Scottish and Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then I talked to some coaches. I said, why, why does that, especially for the Scottish, why does that not translate uh, to an older? And, and the one guy, the Scottish guy goes, yeah, birds and, and booze. He said, they mm-hmm. Do you find certain challenges at certain ages with certain players? Like I, I know Christian Pulisic has talked about 14 to 16 is so important to get a high level of training. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a really interesting um, observation on your part. And if you look around statistically, people would argue, could make the argument that Ajax in Amsterdam is the most successful academy in Europe in terms of bringing guys in and placing them at higher leagues. So you look to Ajax. And I was at Ajax quite recently. And one of the things they said, that sort of 15, 14 to 17-year-old male player age, they're giving them all the training and they're just staying the hell out of their way. Because what, the, what Ajax is saying, you've got raging hormones, you've got all kinds of distractions with these young men. So we're going to make it nice and tight with the soccer. Yeah. And then we're going to try to manage their their lifestyle choices and behaviors you don't do that with 10s and 11 and 12 year olds and when they're 19 20 and they started to work out that this is their living but that that sweet spot so i don't know what christian Pulisic's experience was with chelsea um, or dortmund but it's definitely it's definitely a a challenging age right because they're not quite ready to be full pros Right, and they've got all of those teenage angst issues that every teenager has. So it's a, it is a it's a really tough age group. And then if you're in a culture, you mentioned Scotland. You know, um, interestingly, right now, Stephen Gerrard has left Rangers. They've just got Giovanni von Bronckhorst. The Rangers fans are having a tough time adjusting to a more European uh, attitude towards the game, as opposed to Stevie Gerrard and Northern, you know, England or Northern right, European right, right. and England. So. So it's horses for courses, but I do think it's environment and culture. So if you if you were a parent, if you wanted to see a player do well, you'd really be careful about where, what environments you put him into. Some might be more supportive than others. Some might be more adverse and challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I look at when I look at success, I look at Barcelona. I look at Ajax. I, I certainly look at Chelsea as well. Um, but they're producing different players for different leagues and different needs. Yeah, they're they're actually selling off players. Cotter, how lost are you right now? I'm, I'm not lost. I want to go back to <laughs> you know you earlier said you were a, a coach educator. Or you spend time coach education. Uh, how much of that is for off the field kind of uh, behavior? Do you teach the coaches or coach the coaches on how to handle their players off the pitch or off the field as much as you do on? It's a good question well, so, for a guy who tells dick jokes for a living. That was pretty. Yeah, good. I, I I will say, Tom, you might. No disrespect to the other two guys, but you that might be the best question so far today. Like so now it. we're in, now now we're in a competition. See, um, you're playing with, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a it's series. A really good question because it used to be not that long ago it was X's and O's on the field, kicking the ball, lineups. But what we what we started to see was what sports science. Sometimes people call them the soft skills, but we're talking obviously physiology, nutrition, those kind of things, psychology. But now we're talking 
um, things like motivation, communication skills, mentoring, um, creating intentionally adverse and supportive environments. So what they used to be called uh, soft skills, I think we've actually started to call them necessary skills. Yeah. And when you look at the entourages that the big clubs have of support coaches, because really a top line manager now is a media guy. He's, he is probably, she as well, if you're talking about the Emma Hayes of the world and the Laura Harvey's and stuff, they're probably not doing as much on-field coaching, but they're managing young people, managing relationships, managing the relationship with the owner of the club or the board or the, the backroom staff. So uh, to, if you want to, if you want to be a soccer coach, there's plenty of stuff to make you a decent soccer coach. But if you want to be an elite soccer coach, elite in the high school environment, elite in the college, elite in the pro environment, if you want to be the best of the best within your environment, those skills you're talking about, Tom, that don't relate to X's and O's, they're actually really critical in, in 2022. You know, I noticed that, um, Ian, that's really interesting. I noticed that with Mike Noonan, you know, he, he just won the national championship at, at Clemson, but that's, that's what he talks about, all that stuff, that the motivation and the players and the education, you know, being a, an educator, basically, a, as a coach. And you and I know as piano carrier players, it's sort of that thing that separates the good from the great is some of those those attributes that need to be honed and, and probably at an early age to sort of get them in the right groove, the extra work, the, you know, taking care of your body, all, all the stuff that you're trying to teach now. Yeah, I, I you know, as a coach, having... Um one or two players that you don't know what the hell they're going to do, but they're going to probably score you the game winner in the 90th minute. You need a couple of them. Yeah. But me personally, I, I, I like to have eight, nine guys on the field that I know what the heck they're going to do for 90 minutes. And it might not be the most spectacular, but it gets, gets you to where you need to be. So I, I once saw Mourinho doing a session real briefly, and I saw Ramos and Ronaldo screwing around in the session. And Mourinho kind of let it go. And I think it's because my, my assumption is, or my assessment is, he knew these are special guys and they're twits, but they show up. I'm thinking if some of the other guys like a Diara or a Mesut Ozil or a Kadira was doing it, he would have been really upset. So it. that emotional intelligence, which I think was part of, sort of Tom's question, that those notions of emotional intelligence on the part of the coach is really critical these days. Plus, I think Mourinho, when he's met with an ego as big as his, he might just make it a neutral <laughs> thing into it. Yeah. <laughs> Sam? Um, yeah, Ian. So I took a coaching class or clinic about you know a month or two ago now, and uh, I was really impressed, and I've taken a couple of these, by the you know, the real intention to get kids playing sort of unstructured, you know, free play, really create, as you know, the, the teacher was saying, this kind of street soccer environment. Um, yeah. And it's not always an easy thing to manufacture, I guess, but I'm, I'm curious, and this is probably a hard thing to quantify, but how, how successful that's been for young kids in terms of then getting them to go do it on their own. Yeah, if that makes sense. I think it's a Again, so now you and Tom are competing for the best questions. So we've yeah, left I'll just, Kevin. I'll the, just sit down. Left, yeah, we left Kevin in the dust <laughs> on this one. Um, top players uh, around the world coming from places like Brazil. Even today, it's a lot more street soccer playing in the favelas than structured. Even because professional soccer is not wealthy and evolved um, in the same way in in places like Brazil. So even today. There are elite players coming through that aren't coming from the structured environments of the traditional academies. Guys as old as Kevin, a little bit younger myself, um, 
Yeah, easy, we played we, we played you know we played street <laughs> soccer and it's all very romantic. However, in in America, uh, in the US, in most environments, it's probably going to increasingly be more structured youth pay to play clubs. So what you've experienced, Sam, is when we go to those coaching sessions, is try to empower the kids to play a little bit more intuitively and a little bit less keep looking at us to save the day with our information. It's difficult because if the parents are paying, they sort of have an expectation the coach should be talking yeah. all the time. Yeah. So it, you've got to be a pretty brave coach, but it's, it's quite simple things. And for the, your listeners that are you know, maybe coaching their own kids, it's setting up a couple of little mini fields. And when the kids get there to the training for the first 15, 20 minutes, give them the balls and just say, there's a little field, go play. So you just kind of turn it over to them. What I'd also say to any parent who's spending, as many are, tens of thousands of dollars or thousands of dollars on their kids, if your kid doesn't want to go in the backyard with his brother or sister, her brother or sister and a couple of friends and play two-on-two, if they don't do that and they'd rather be sitting in front of the TV, then their soccer experience is only when it's with a coach and they're probably not destined to take the game further, right? They're doing right, it as, a, right. as an exclusive recreation. It's one of 10 things I do. The, the kids that will go on and play in college, high school, maybe pro, and, and be lifelong lovers of the game and sustained will be the ones that want to play pickup in the backyard. Yeah, you know, Ian, that's a great point because it's okay to not want to be a high school college or professional player. You know, like, you know, growing up, all the sports I played, you, you got two guys that are really good and everybody else kind of sucks and just sort of fills it in and has fun and everybody gets an orange and everybody has a, a, a good time. So, uh, I, you know, I just love coaches. It's such a commitment. It's a calling. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful to watch, uh, though I don't have the patience for it. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you about the U.S. national team. So it's uh, we talked about it here for a long time. We were hearing about his system, his system, uh, Berhalter's system. And obviously something's working. What are, what are your thoughts on it? What, what you've seen? Yeah, I um, had an opportunity to watch them play in the, what is it, the Nations League. So I saw them beat uh, Mexico 3-2 in overtime live in Colorado. Fantastic game. Wow, yeah. And we started Sergeant Polisic and Reina up top. So that's not bad. You know, you've got Premier League in, in whatever Sergeant's playing um, with Norwich right now. Rainer at Dortmund and Pulisic. That's, that's a good starting lineup. Yeah. And the best player on the field was pro, pro, that day was probably Weston McKinney. I thought he was absolutely superb. Yeah, he's a stud. So, yeah. So you can see what Greg's trying to do. I think left back that day was a tough one. Um, you kind of see it as a 4-3-3, which is sort of quite contemporary with what people are doing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I remain consistent with this, and I think we talked about it on your show before. The challenge is how big the player pool is and right. does he get them from MLS? And if he doesn't get them from MLS, people criticize him. Does he use the European based players? If he doesn't, people criticize him and style system. And you've got a player pool that is as massive as his. When do you lock in? And what that's going to mean is right. at some point, some really good players need to be put into a, a secondary or tertiary list. And, and Tom can look up the word tertiary. Um, good. I was going to say that myself. Good job. You're right yeah. on board here. No, all over me. Uh, <laughs> um, no, so, so, and it's not, it, it might not be, it, he's just at some point, 
um, we need to say what that 26-man, 32-man roster is. And I think that for me, that remains the biggest challenge for the U.S. men's national coach um, is forming the identity around a group of guys that will be able to uh, adapt to it with him. That's the biggest challenge. Yeah, this is a, a new thing for the U.S. because I remember talking to Sam about this. We're like Italy. You didn't know who the starting 11 were going to be. They had so many players to choose from. That whoever's in form at the time and kind of could meld together with each other. Uh, the U.S., we always had our, you know, our same guys. Now we, uh, I can't even keep track of everyone, Ian. And, mm -hmm. um, it, you know, the hard part is the different sort of seasons, the European season, the American domestic league season, uh, the different tournaments. Like, And then the other thing, if you want to follow social media, which I'm getting sick and tired of because it, it seems like this is one of the reasons not to coach is he can't do anything right as far as some people are concerned from the get-go. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought uh, Grail, our old co-host, was was tough on on, uh, on him early. But even though he's continued to win, people still doubt it, you know, and they still, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. Yeah, who else would you like to coach? I think he's got, he's got the coaching pedigree within reason mm -hmm. and he's a, certainly American. It's nice to have. Um, I, you know, I think uh, many of us that like English professional football would love to have English coaches coaching our teams, but there's, there's better ones from other countries. Um, right, so it's, exactly. it's great to have an American coaching the American or the U S team. Um, he's played, he played at the level. I, I, what I get frustrated with, and it's not his fault is to your point of the seasons is when they play and you're like, Oh, is this the MLS team? Or is this the, right. is this the best team? Or is this the European based players? Um, and, you know, now we maybe have a World Cup being held in November and December. So God help us with that. So I, I, I think more people should get behind the initiative and what we're doing. Um, and we're going to hopefully qualify for the World Cup. And the expectation normally is to get out of the group and, and then get into a playoff uh, situation. And I think, uh, I think the players are being developed in the MLS and certainly are, are getting even superior development in the European leagues. Um, but I think personally, I think uh, Greg's managing it very well. Personally, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's uh, it's it's the proof is in the pudding. So it's it's doing well. So um, let me ask you about this. We're going to watch Liverpool later today, the, the Carabao Cup. What like you know? <laughs> I understand the FA Cup, but what's the story with that one? Yeah, it's hard to keep up with all these tournaments and these poor guys play so much. It is it is ridiculous. Um, so the traditional model. In, let's say the uk you've got the league which tends to trump everything mm -hmm. the fa cup the oldest cup competition the idea of the fa cup is that every single club within reason in england is eligible so you have hundreds and hundreds of rounds that get you to the the top clubs the league cup or the carabao cup that's the sponsor is exclusively for the the 92 clubs in the four tier professional level so but in in the rap, the pecking order, it's by far and away the least of the uh, trophies. And then with the big clubs, you add in European competitions, so now it becomes the fourth or fifth trophy. So you watch lower clubs, and they put their full guys out, yeah. and then they play Liverpool, and Liverpool have put the kids out. So the squad numbers on Liverpool today, you'll see squad numbers in the eighties. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, but it's funny with Liverpool, especially, and I, I sort of gravitated towards them just because I love the way they play. You have these three, four incredible strikers that are they're checking back, you know, getting working really hard. It's wonderful to see. It's 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 again like total football, like Cruyff talked about. Um, well, two of them are in Afcon right now. So Salah yeah. is with Egypt, and Mane is with I want to say Senegal. So they're not even yeah. eligible. They're not available. 
because they're playing in their African uh, cl- uh, national cl- competition, which to your listeners, if, if anybody's getting there fairly uh, recent to this recording, that's you can find those on um, most cable networks and the, the African uh, international competition. Very colorful, very entertaining, some very, very dodgy refereeing. Oh, uh, lots that. of red cards. It's very, very exciting. The the Afcon. Well, let me say when you know that the Africa Cup is bigger than the other cups. Another dick joke. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you you would have got Ian fired if he hadn't left on his own accord. Like, yeah, yeah, I was really. Yeah, Thank God. you. God, that's all. Yeah, he's fired, Kev. He coaches um, kids all day, all week. So uh, you know what, Tom? One more quick question. Uh, your your middle initial is H. Uh huh. As in Jesus H. Christ. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Could you tell us what it is or is that secret? Horatio. Um, well, Henry. okay. As we've established, people that <laughs> type in my Gmail account as Ian Barker, it goes to a fella in Houston who's a very nice man. I've never met him, but he gets most of my email. <laughs> so we, we, we differentiate ourselves by the H for my middle name, which is Harry. I'm not named after a royal person. I'm named after an uncle, but it's it's Harry and I'm proud of it and I'm sticking with it. One of my sons is named Harry, so I, I'm with you on that. Great, great minds think alike, or you were just lucky. Hey, Connor, I got we got to go, but I want to tell this quick story. When your kids were born, he has twin boys, and I'm standing in the back of a comedy club with Jim Gaffigan, and um, and Tom comes in and goes, "Hey, I, I just had you know t- uh, twins, uh, boys," and and Jim goes, "Oh, great, man! Well, you know what are their names?" And he goes, "Harrison and Cameron," and Gaffigan starts laughing and Tom goes, why? And he goes, uh, Harry Cotter and Cam Cotter. <laughs> Sounds like Cam Corder and Harry Potter. And you're like, shit. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> bit, bit late to go back. Though, exactly. Right? You can't change the, the, the birth certificate then. We didn't think it through. No, you didn't uh-huh. think it through, obviously. <laughs> so, and your wife didn't think through. Uh, no, I know your wife. She's wonderful. Leave it alone. Comedian herself. So, <laughs> Hey Ian, man. Um, thanks for talking to us. Uh, just love shooting the shit with you, but uh, boy, a 10 year run uh there and and boy bigger better things coming for you i'm sure in your future as uh you take all that knowledge now and put it out in the free market uh, yeah. and see what happens i'd love to see you coach in uh at college again because i think that's an undervalued area um you know we we need to you know produce a better college product i think mm-hmm. um so sure. so best of luck to you in the future stay in touch give us a buzz whenever you want to come on the show because we love to talk to you Okay. Well, thank you, Kevin, Tom, and Sam. Uh, You guys are always uh, very gracious hosts. So thank you very much for having me. Always great to catch up with uh, Ian. That's uh, exciting for him after 10 years. I mean, that's a long time to be at one, uh, one gig. So uh, best of luck to him in the future. He's got, like I said, he's got all that soccer knowledge where it winds up next. We will, we shall see. We'll keep you posted. Yeah. Whoever gets him will be fortunate to have him as a coach. Uh, Yeah. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. And you know, he's a big boy too. I wouldn't want it to, as a center back, go up against him. (laughs) And for the record, tertiary uh, is a period or a system of rocks deposited during the Mesozoic era. Tertiary. There we go. Sam, is that, that check out? I thought uh, that might be be number three on the, yeah, that that might be the tertiary definition of tertiary. Like, uh, um, primary, secondary, tertiary. Can I ask a question? You kept talking about guys carrying the pianos and guys playing the pianos. Am I missing this? Who is carrying large instruments in a soccer game? Sam, you want to answer that or should I? You can answer it. Well, basically you got your worker bees. And the worker bees are the piano carriers. And then you always got these guys that have this, the X factor. They sort of just 
put the ball in the back of the net, they find it somehow. I used to play with this guy in college called Simon Ostroff, a redheaded Russian Jew. Um, And he was uh, lazy as could be. But my God, uh, he always found the back of the net. He was always in the right place. I'd be running my head off, carrying the piano, basically. And then you had that guy who had the vision who just like little tap in right there. He just he was in the right place, the right time. Or you got that incredibly gifted sort of speed striker guy who puts the ball in the back of the net or a gifted center midfielder who's incredibly skillful. So um, that's uh, the rest of us are piano carriers is, is what it was. I assume that's what it was, but I yeah. wanted uh, your clarification. Yeah. So, hey, guys, I wanted to talk to you quickly. Um, well, first, Sam, what's going on in Syria? Ah, I saw Juventus uh, McKenney had a great goal last night. What else is happening over there? Yeah, McKenney had a nice goal. They lost in the Super Cup to Inter eventually in extra time. And, but and he, what is he, the Super Cup exactly? So the uh, Super Cup is the the winner of last the, the prior season's Serie A title and the uh, Italian Cup. So the cup winner against the league winner, essentially. Okay, good. That's what um, I thought. But yeah, and uh, yeah, a good goal for McKenney. I mean, the the bigger news I think around him is that he's kind of put rumors to rest that were swirling at the beginning of the season as to him maybe leaving because uh, he didn't have a really strong start to the season, but he's really come back and played well the last couple of months. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's been good to see. So I don't think he's going to be leaving UV any, anytime soon. Um, we didn't get to this last week, but out of City, uh, Lorenzo Insigne from Napoli has agreed to join uh, Toronto FC at the end of his uh, season. So All in right. May, uh, which is a pretty big move. He's um, 30 years old right now. So he still has, you know, a good amount to give. He's got a huge contract. I think he's getting like 15 million a year up in Toronto. And uh, yeah, that be interesting. He, uh, that's obviously where Sebastian Jovinko went, another Italian player, and he did really well. So he's kind of following in those footsteps and, uh, you know, going to Toronto, which has that big Italian expat community. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it seems like a good move for, for everybody. The, the fans in Naples are, are kind of mixed. A lot of people are saying, you know, you, you've sort of done your bit. So he's just to explain, he's from Naples. Uh, and so he's understandably become just like an incredible symbol of that team um, an icon. Yeah. for, you know, good, good and bad. I mean, when things aren't going well, he takes the brunt of it. And when they are, he's a god. So, um, you know, he's I could see it being a very, a very tiring kind of burdensome existence there for him. Tom, that's what happens when you're a special player. You get all the burden as well. So uh, the piano carriers just keep carrying the pianos and. And the guys like the Ronaldos and the Messi's catch all the shit, you know, one way or the other. So um, I, I wanted to talk to you guys because last night I watched this show on Showtime called Yellow Jackets. Now, Connor, you've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Is that a, 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 the Yellow Jackets is the mascot of their team? Are they from Georgia Tech or no? No, no. This is a bunch of high school girls are going to the national championship. And, I like it already. And they, yeah, exactly. They get uh, they get in a plane crash. It's basically, you know, but what I was what I was noticing about it and Sam, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but they never capture it, it, not just this show because this show's really good. I really I really kind of got into it. I watched two episodes last night, but um, they never capture how soccer is played when they're doing a television show or uh, a film. You know, even Ted Lasso, like the soccer segments are like, oh, they're so posed. And, you know, all sports, I think, you know, basketball might be easier to capture football you know you get blow all the sound effects all that stuff but it just always rings as so like oh god no it just doesn't happen yeah i don't know i'm trying to think of other shows or movies that have soccer in them and not, not many are coming to mind um 
I will say, I think the best representation of sports I ever saw on TV, and I didn't play football, so I can't really speak to this, but was Friday Night Lights, that TV show. That all looked quite realistic to my eye. Yeah. I learned a lot from that. I learned that football was like a religion. I didn't know it was that big a deal, and I didn't know what Friday Lights were, so I learned a lot about that from watching that show. Yeah, Religion is a religion down there as well. So That's it's, true. Uh, That's but true. But even Rocky, I mean, the movie Rocky, uh, you know, it's a boxing match. They made it look good, but that fight would have been stopped, you know, seven rounds. Exactly. Ago, you know? So oftentimes they misrepresent, of course, what happens in every sport. And soccer is just, I think, one of them. <laughs> well, the one thing, what I would say with soccer, the one that it really worked was uh, Victory. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Sam. Have you no. seen that movie, Tom? Yeah, I have. Great movie. You know, they had Ardiles and a Pele was in it and a bunch of people. Whenever the ball went to Michael Caine. What's that? Sylvester Stallone's in that. And he plays, of course, a moronic American who's like, yeah, and he's just, you know, he's good with his hands because he's an American. And, you know, he's jumping to save shots and he looks like it looks horrible. It's so yes. the goalkeeper. Thanks for bringing that up, part of Carter. Uh, yeah, Stallone looked terrible and um, that. But the movie looked good the way they moved. So I don't know who was. The yeah, I mean, I assume having Pele in the film was probably pretty helpful. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, Ardiles did this sort of fade move where he would he would lean and and knock the ball back to his back foot and then push it forward again. It was sort of a and I I mimicked it a, a thousand times, you know, and then I used it all through college. But it reminded me of the fact that kids now have more exposure to great soccer um, where they can. Because, like, look, when you're a kid, you have all that time to either learn how to play the guitar or whatever it is, because you have nothing but time. It seems like when you're a kid. Um, Tom, you've just raised, you're raising three boys. It's like when they're little, they've got downtime. Now it's just, they're, they're gone resume, from the house. Their resume, when Ian was talking about the kid who wants to go outside and do a pickup game, that's the kid that's going to excel at soccer later on because he right. obviously has a passion for it that other kids don't. When other kids want to stay inside and, you know, work their thumbs playing a video game, they're not going to, you know, you're just not going to get that level of athletic achievement that you will in soccer or any other sport, you know? So, right. Uh, and like, was, we, and like we said, that's all right. You know, that's all right. So, yeah. uh, so it's good. So, all right, man, good stuff. Sam, anything else before we wrap up here? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, good, man. Well, Tom, you're, uh, you're about the same height as Grail Howlett. So it's, it's really good to have you filling in his shoes because perfect. it's perfect. It's the perfect height. We appreciate you joining us once again on over the ball for Tom Cotter and Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time, everybody on OTB.